Welcome to the September 9th, 2021 meeting of the Science Fiction Club and um, Roger. Yes, you want it, me to go you, first, I think. Well, uh, it's kind of semi-traditional and I haven't, you haven't been here for uh, the last Let meeting, me I don't like Go around the room and say who's here. Hey, you want to do that? Who's here? I, I'm here, Jim, from Central PA, Jim O'Neill. Central PA? Oh, huh? two Pennsylvanians. Oh, yeah, Martin. Yes. Haven't talked to you in years, man. <laughs> Been a long uh, time, right? Yeah. This yeah. is Evan from Ohio. Sherry from Indiana. Yeah, Sherry, yeah. And David from Louisiana. Oh, yeah. And... Roger from oh, Roger from 15 miles outside of Charleston, the capital city of West Virginia, the only state that seceded from the Confederacy. Do you guys Mark. realize that this whole meeting, except for David, is all in bordering states? <laughs> Indiana, wow. Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. One after the other. Yep. They're all contiguous. One landmass. Yeah. Contiguous. Yeah. Except for uh, David down in Louisiana. Okay, does uh, is it okay then uh, if if uh, Roger does his semi-traditional yes. first book? Sure. Yeah. He usually gives really good perfect. detailed reviews, which will be yeah, better than mine. Okay with me. All right. <laughs> so long as Rogers agree. By, by the way, in July. I was kind of on the road, and by the time I got home, the meeting would have been about halfway over, so I didn't bother to show up. But anyway, <clears throat> I bring you The Ring by Piers Anthony. Oh. Got that mm. from Bookshare. And Piers Anthony is best known as a juvenile fantasy writer. He mainly got that reputation from the Xanth series, but it happens that Way back in the distant past, he was a writer of science fiction for adults, and The Ring is one of those, and it was published in 1968. Makes me kind of wonder how old he is by now. He must be getting really elderly. Anyway, it in this story, um, the solar system has pretty much been colonized. But the colonies are not exactly a pleasant place to live because the only place in the solar system that is um, a pleasant place to live would be Earth. And everywhere else, you have to live in cramped quarters, always have to worry about life support. And um, it's usually way too cold out there. Or if you in the inner solar system, it's way too hot or whatever. In other words, the colonies are a are nice places to visit, but you wouldn't want to live there. So there is a high rotation of people in and out, except there is a certain population of people who are there on a long-term basis, and they are exiles. It so happens that on Earth, the criminal justice system has been altered so that criminals are like given about a choice between two options about what their sentence is going to be and one of them is to go into exile <clears throat> and if they go into exile they're stuck in the colonies so as the story opens the main character is the son of a man who has been exiled and um he went along with his father when he was a child, and the exile has gone on long enough that he has finally come of age, and he can go out on his own. So the first place he goes is back to Earth. Well, all his life he has remembered his father claiming that his father was not guilty of whatever crime it was that he was charged with, but that he had a business partner who framed him up. So the main character, the son, is going back to Earth with the idea of getting revenge in mind. But he has absolutely no evidence against this business partner. 
if there had been evidence, his father wouldn't have been put into exile in the first place. But so there's, he can't really have a remedy through the courts, but he proceeds to try to get revenge anyway. And in the process, commits illegal acts and he gets caught and he gets put on trial and he is found guilty. Okay. That means he is given the choice exile or the ring. Now he sure didn't want to go into exile. He just got back from exile and he knows that earth is a much better place to live than out in the colonies. So he chooses the ring. As he understands it, the only thing that the ring really does to you is make you a decent person. And he considers himself to be a decent person anyway. Now, about this ring, the people who have been fitted with the ring are called ringers. They are said to have been ringed, and the device is called a ring. It's not really a ring. The name of it comes from a fairy tale in which a king had a son who was a ne'er-do-well, who was always getting in trouble, and the king went to his court um, wizard to ask the wizard if he could uh, make the son behave better, and the wizard came up with a ring to put on the um, finger of the son, and as long as he wore that ring, he would be well-behaved. So they call this device a ring after that. What it is actually is a device that could be implanted, surgically implanted. It is usually implanted into your hand, close to your wrist, and it indeed makes you not commit illegal acts. And in fact, you can't even think but it says you can't think evil thoughts because it won't allow you to do that either. Um, it doesn't really read your mind and it doesn't act like a judge. What it does is act pretty much like a lie detector in that it measures your nerve impulses and uh, the electrical potential in your skin and other biometrical clues and can tell if you are planning to commit an illegal act or if you are thinking, quote, unquote, evil thoughts. Now, um, how does it decide what an evil thought is? Well, uh, the wearer of the ring, the ringer, decides that for himself. It assumes that um, the ringer has certain moral standards, and if he thinks about violating his own moral standards, the ring will go into action. Now, what this action is, if you actually set out to perform a, an illegal act or to perform something that might be legal but in your own mind is immoral, it will subject you to utter agony, unspeakable pain. But nobody really gets to experience that because everybody knows that's going to happen. So nobody forms the intent of committing a crime. Um, thinking about committing a crime um, or thinking immoral thoughts and so on can get kind of a warning, you get a low level of pain and you know you better back off. So it forces you into good behavior as long as you're wearing it. And so most of the story explores the implications of this. For one thing, um, it, it, you can pretty much trust a ringer because they can't lie. Well, almost everybody has a moral compunction against lying, even though they lie anyway. But if you're a ringer, if you have that moral compunction against lying, even though it may not necessarily be 
illegal unless you're under oath, um, it starts causing pain and you back off so you tell the truth all the time. Uh, that would not necessarily work on a complete sociopath because they have no moral compunctions against lying or against doing anything else either. But even a complete sociopath has an idea of what is illegal and what's not, so they still can't commit illegal acts. And by the way, I suppose if there is an act that is illegal and you don't know that it's illegal, you really have no idea that it's illegal, then you could probably get away with doing that. But you can't commit illegal acts that you know about. Um, other implications. There is one guy who has been a ringer for 10 years and then his sentence was up and his ring was removed. Still had the scars, by the way. Um, and as he described it, I was an angel for 10 years. And now I got so used to it that I can't stop being an angel. I have managed to get me myself back to the point where I can cuss again. But that's as far as I can go. I can't do anything else that's bad. If I even think about it, I don't have to feel the pain. I think about it and start backing off. So I'm stuck this way. I'm an angel for the rest of my life, I suppose. Other implications are um, ringers tend to hang around with each other because even though other people know that they're going to be good and know that you can trust them not to lie and all of that kind of stuff, unringed people have a tendency to consider themselves superior to people who would commit some kind of crime such that they would get ringed. And you could tell who a ringer is just by looking for the scars. And in fact, even when the ring is removed, um, they still hang around with ringers because uh, decent people don't want to hang around with criminal elements, even if they've been completely cured of their criminality by then. And um, basically, that's pretty much the story. I don't think um, toward the end, the actual criminal who had framed up the father, he never does get caught. The um, the son never does prove that he was guilty, although he is certain that he is guilty. But the son has to go through a um, fairly long sentence as a ringer. And presumably, it didn't say so specifically, but presumably when the ring is removed, he is still an angel because he got so used to it and all of that. And I don't know that there is any definite resolution of everything at the end it's just kind of after exploring all the implications of the ring it just kind of winds down so there you have it the ring by Piers Anthony mm. yeah he said I guess we're done that's, that's I guess the book I, I thought about it and I thought everything I could and now it's over <laughs> but this is the late 60s too so you know, uh, authors were experimenting. The only thing I remember about Piers Anthony, though, and I, I, I wasn't even reading the book, but someone else was reading it, and I was listening into it. The, the, the Xanth book that they were listening to, and I don't remember which one, the writing just seemed really bad. Um, well, that, that is written for children. Mm -hmm. His adult science fiction was better, but um, mm -hmm. just remember, he... Um, had to limit his vocabulary mm. and limit how he could form sentences on because the target audience was children. I must oh. say I read one of the one or two of the Xanth books and mm -hmm. I actually really liked them. I thought they were funny. Yeah. He had a lot oh. of puns in there and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But I didn't I like them that. well enough to finish them. The series. Yeah, yeah. yeah there were I don't know how many. I like think there were quite I a think it was like forty, forty, maybe thirty or forty. Hey Neil, uh uh Jim. Your mic yes, is sir. very muffled. Oh, oh all right. How about now? 
That's, that's better now. That's he wrote one better, called yeah. Kilobyte about a virtual reality thing back in the early 90s when he was way ahead of his time. And he wrote a lovely yeah. historic fiction called Tatum Mound set in 16th century Florida. But he said that was too much research. He wouldn't do it again. He liked writing fantasy <laughs> where he could just make it up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's uh, probably what uh, Terry Brooks thought, too, after yeah. being an attorney that, then for there was a, while, a one I was less work. Yeah, well, I wrote, I read, or started one of his, um, well, I read a Xanth book too, but that was the only one, and then I, but it, there was another one called Virtual Mode, and then another one after that called Fractal Mode, and I started Virtual Mode, and it started out with this girl, teenage girl, cutting herself, and you know, bleeding, and, you know, liking the fact that she was watching herself bleed, I, I can't do this, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's, there are, internet groups that kind of encourage yeah, those kinds with of apparitions. Yeah, apparitions. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, um, there was some, a bit of that, a very small bit of that in uh, one of David Brin's books, too, but it, I think it was about some, they were encouraging somebody to commit suicide or something like Ooh. that, oh. you know, and uh, I actually, some of that is actually uncomfortably close to what has, you know, there's some things that have happened that are pretty close to that. You know some of these internet bullying things, and mm -hmm. you know people have committed suicide, teenagers because of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so some of that stuff, he he definitely was ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, for sure. Um. Well, who would like to go next? I'll go. I got. Uh... Okay, Jim. All right. Central Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Where I used to live. Yeah, and Lu you you lived in uh, Lewistown, right? Tyrone. Tyrone, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, you had to go over the seven mountains to get to where. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, the two I have. First one is the Hail Mary Project by Andy Weir. Oh, that was good. Oh, <coughs> yeah. That was yeah. good. Yeah, I read that on Bookshare, and then it showed up on Bard. What can I say? What can you say? But it's an interesting book, because it starts out with the main character waking up and not remembering who he is, where he is, and he figures out that he is on a spaceship. And they're traveling to another star, and he's the only one left alive, the other two people that kind of knew what they were doing. Uh, they died as a result of the um, life suspension um, programs they were put into for, to make the journey. And they're making this journey to bring back or search for a particle that will save Earth's solar system. And he has to figure out what he's doing on the ship, who he is, why is there, what the whole deal is. And it's, uh, he does meet another alien or an alien from another solar system. And they work together to gather enough of this particle to, to um, block the um, sun destroying rays that are affecting their home worlds. And he, well, he leaves to go off to earth because he's got enough of this particle and he ends up finding out that he can't go back to earth himself because something happens with the other alien and he's got to go back to save him in his world. And he does manage to send information back to earth to save earth. But he, it's, it's about um, how he gets to get his memory back and how they um, kind of discover that he has to go. To, to and make this journey and it, the book jumps around from where he is waking up on the spaceship to showing back you know where they're back on earth and just figuring out what's going on and to try and figure out how to stop it but it, it's a good read um so i hope you'll check it out the next one i have is part two of a book written by david weber David Weber writes a lot of military science fiction. Uh, this one is called Into the Light. It is on Audible. It is on Bookshare. I got Bookshare to grab it for me. 
I don't, uh, the premises the, in the first book, uh, Out of the Dark is called, um, the earth is visited in uh, medieval times. I think during one of the war battles in the Hundred Years' War, and the aliens that visit Earth to evaluate it figure these guys are a very primitive and but violent species. And, you know, we really think that something's got to be done to halt them from progressing. So they send the report back to the home um, palady, I guess you want to call it. There's like six, at least six worlds in this palady, six different solar systems, groups, what have you. They decide that, all right, yeah, we're going to have to send somebody out to just send a, a group out to, uh, you know, kind of knock Earth back on its heels so it doesn't get too aggressive and come out and start trouble in the union if you will and um i won't spoil the ending of the book but it is interesting and then there's a sequel to that book uh out of the dark called into the light where it takes place after the invasion of earth has been stopped and it's how we deal with that and um an interesting ally that's developed on earth that helps us out and helps us defeat the alien race that's trying to enslave us. But uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys will check it out. I will get in touch with Bookshare to see if they can get the first book in the series out of the dark and put that on Bookshare. Because the only place I could find it was on Audible. And the reader does a heck of a job. So that's mm. all I have right now. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, um, David Weber's written a, quite a few long books. Are these long books? Or are these more? Some, um, of, some of his Harrington books are like oh, I know, about they're, 30 uh, hours or something. Like yeah. That, aren't these aren't, that, aren't quite that long. They're maybe. Mm -hmm. Just curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, uh, yeah, somebody else who, who somebody else reviewed that here. I think that oh, uh, okay. Andy Weir book. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. A few months ago, okay. I don't know who it was now, but I'm sure All it's right. on the recording. But oh, that's uh, okay. I didn't re even remember that. So yeah, oh, okay. I really, it sounded familiar. Um, that was his third book. So he mm -hmm. um, wrote The Martian and then uh, Artemis. Artemis was good. The mystery yeah. on the moon. I like that. Yeah. And yeah. On, of course, the Martian was Robinson Crusoe on Mars, but yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. But it was good. He should write. Some but he, uh, he definitely knows his uh, science. Yeah, he's the yeah. hard science fiction, science fiction. Yeah. Yep. The technical right. science fiction. Yep. But Robinson Crusoe on Mars was a movie. I don't know that it was ever a novel, was it? Or oh, really? Yeah. That's oh. my connection with it. You mean the Martian? No, Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Oh, he was just saying that that was like. I think he was just saying that it's. Oh. Um, I didn't know there was really a book or movie called that. Really yes, a, a yeah, it, it that. came out in the sixties. Oh, oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a good movie, though. We went actually went out to see that. Um. But I never read the book. Uh, Cindy Alyssa read it uh, quite a while ago, I remember, but I didn't read it. Um, or I started it. I can't remember now. Anyway, um, Martin, I don't think you were here in July either, were you? Who? You, Martin? Martin? I was there. Yeah, I was were there. You, you and Sherry and me, that was it. Oh, wow. Well. Right. Three of us now. Mm -hmm. yep. I don't think I was there in July. No, do you want to go ahead? Do you have a book? Um, I can sort of been... talk about something. 
I, <laughs> in July and all, I think in mostly in July, it took me most of the month. I dove into the Expanse universe by James S. Corey, which is the oh, uh, the the name used by a duo of writers. One is Ty Frank, who is the assistant to George R. R. Martin, and I forget who the other one was now. But anyway, the point is, there were like there are eight novels. There none of them short, and there are mm. a couple of novellas. The first one is the Churn. It talks about one of the characters who appears in most of the other books, and it gives you his backstory. The novellas tended to give backstory. That's the scene to be the trend now they stick short novellas in between books in the series and sometimes they'll put them online and there'll be like a free giveaway to hook you and make you go and read even more and mm -hmm. this is set in the world that according to wikipedia the authors suggest may be the world of andy weir's the martian two or three hundred years later what happens is earth is overpopulated Mars is being terraformed. There is a drive that was invented that allows them to travel into the asteroid belt and go from Earth to there in like a couple of weeks. So it's feasible to go into the solar system. There is far out, I believe, as the moons of Saturn. The outer, uh, the outer planets, these, these moons and all the asteroids, are, they're known as belters. They, they mine raw materials for that are sent back to Earth and Mars. So there's this big antipathy, of course, between the sort of freewheeling belters, as they are called. They even look different. They're a little taller than Earth or Mars people mm. with slightly bigger heads. And they um, they don't feel like they've been treated fairly. So you get all these different factions wanting to take over. You get, you get different people. The book is centered on this um, ship and it's captioned by James Holdway. His second in command is Naomi Nakata. She's a belter. He's from Earth. And then they have a Martian who is their navigator and another guy from Earth who's sort of the engineer and head of security. They um, will, um, the Rosinante is the ship. Yeah, I guess it's famous, just like there's another science fiction series. It's sort of techno fantasy with the Mobius as the famous ship. Well, this is the Rosinante. And in other words, the books just, they sort of go on too long. I'm glad there's yeah. only one left. I hope Bard gets it, that they write it soon. Yes. And Bard gets it because it's book nine. And these books can easily run 20 hours. But can, the, but can the Earthman and the Belter Woman they, unite their separate tribes? They seem to have been working <laughs> on it in the book i liked i just like the way they built the world i guess because mm -hmm. it's sort yeah. of space opera-ish you know it's very mm -hmm. episodic it's long mm -hmm. probably too long and yep. i don't know if anybody would want to read it but it goes on and on and on and characters from book number three might appear again in book number seven but all and, this sounds really uh, this sound this kind of sounds a little shop worn i mean we've heard there's a lot of books about the belt or the independent belters and the well, you know, yeah, and ben the Bova overlord, you know, and the tyrannical <laughs> earth, and you know, that's well, been done this, so this, many times. He tweaks it though, because in mm -hmm. the in like the second or third book, they the um there is a gate that opens up past Uranus and it allows them access to all these thousands of worlds, and it's how those worlds start playing into the power dynamic of oh, Earth wow. and the belt. Oh, now you get your space opera for sure. Yeah, yeah. now that's where the space opera comes, and one of the planets is Laconia and it's taken over by this man who was a breakaway renegade from Mars and he wants to try to live forever and it shows you how that falls apart and it just keeps going on and on the, the thing is extremely elaborate there's mm -hmm. there are different points of view in the books you might see a character from book three that might come again in book seven and it was mm -hmm. like I said it was interesting it's episodic you know, it, it could. It's a series. I believe it's on TV. If I'm not mistaken, it is. It is. I yeah, it oh. was. It is oh. on TV. They, yeah, the Expanse. I think Netflix. Yeah, the or, Expanse. Yeah, yeah Netflix mm -hmm. did it. That sounds right. And it was, you know, it was not the best science fiction. It was not the worst. It wasn't. It wasn't cutting edge and like right. you know, novel. They were dealing with with well known science fiction tropes, as you pointed out. I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> of the famous. Three books, uh, Ben uh, Ben Bova, the late Ben Bova, who died last oh, year. Oh, Asteroid his, Wars. His ast yeah, the three books yep. in the Grand I thought there Tour were four. series. 
Oh, yeah, okay. and Larry Niven's known space had belters exactly. Okay. You know, uh, were okay. independent and freewheeling. And, I just wonder if there will uh, be any more Ben Bova Grand Tour. I think he, he the last one he did was Titan. I don't know if he was going to go to Neptune oh, or Uranus or not. That that whole world started. You know, it went Mercury. They had Mercury Venus, and they had he did a couple about Mars. I don't know if he's if he's done. He had some good books. Some were yeah. not as good. Some were better. Well, yeah, that, that was, was a my, lot of reading. It was. It really, really was. <laughs> wow. I, I kept saying I would stop, but it was kept me just interested enough. I think what I liked about it was his characters seemed human. They seemed believable, like people you would want to know. They weren't like, remember Isaac Asimov and a lot of his stuff, his characters to me weren't always, they, they, were, they, they were there, but his stuff was the how he manipulated the three laws of robotics. Susan, what was her name? Susan Calvin. Susan Calvin. The robo psychologist. Yeah. I mean, she yes. was interesting, but I didn't need to meet her. You know, nah. I, don't, I don't know how to explain. I, yeah, the stories it. weren't about that. You know? No, they, they weren't about, about those characters. laws. No, he didn't right. do character as well. No, these this didn't. this duo does character. I'm not ben, sure he did character at all. You know, <laughs> no, I mean, his, his his characters were all like one or two dimensional. They weren't. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know. I mean, even Ben Bova. Some of his women were two dimensional, but mm -hmm. this this duo pair makes characters that are three-dimensional. They are flawed. They have good. They have bad. They struggle with how to deal with this world. I think that's what I liked about it. They, The characters mm -hmm. were so... Stephen King does that. You know, yeah. even though he talks about idiotic vampires and unbelievable monkey shine, his characters are people who are very real. You get to know them. I mean, he goes into really their do. psychology. There's quite so a lot much. of Stephen King yeah. coming up has come up on Bard lately. Yeah, old Stephen King, a bunch of old Need, stuff. Needful <laughs> things. Long, yeah, a long yes. work. And he, and the big and he, short story one. collection just showed up. And he up reads the other day. Yeah, four past midnight. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he reads it. But Those I don't books think he's were already available on Bard. I just yeah, they were. I just reissued them. They just Maybe because he narrated them, they reissued it. Yeah, they made, I mean, yeah, he re, he narrates this. I don't find he's the best there. narrator. He, I don't, I don't <laughs> find it. But that's just me. I think he's a much better writer. I wish I had his leftover talent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I just read Billy. It's coming. It'll probably come on bars. Billy, uh, Billy Summers. I think it. Was, How was that? I've got it. It from was Bookshare. okay. It yeah. Okay. okay. I have a friend I, who really liked it, but yeah. I, you know, I think his writing changed after his accident. Yeah, it may have. It went downhill. It Friend got of mine more said, formulaic well, and predictable, yeah. I think. Well, I think 1122.63 is probably my that favorite. That was good. And Under the Dome was good. Oh, yeah. yeah, but those, oh, were, those were books that he put out after his accident, but he had written them earlier. Oh, oh. Uh, really? Uh, he, mm. Yeah, he says that. Oh, uh, as close. At the end of the only science fiction you could say he ever did was The Running Man, and that's well. Tommy almost... Knockers had aliens. Tommy yeah, Knockers, that, that's yeah. true. I take it back. And then The Running Man is set in a reality universe. The game show, you know, it was it was scarily sort of prescient in a way, but creepy. It was sort of science fiction. That's not really his area, though. He could write science fiction if he wanted mm -hmm. to. If he wanted yeah, but then to, yeah. it it had kind of a science fiction. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah. The Theodore Sturgeon had a, had a. Um, a short story with that title. It was in the Science Fiction Hall of Fame, wasn't it? Ooh. Oh wow! Hmm. Or in some other anthology. Maybe it was in a different anthology. It was. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, since I've read it. Um, so yeah, who's next? Theodore Sherry Sturgeon, or Martin? A person that? starts out with the sentence: "It walked in the woods." Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I read a book which I think found to be pretty, pretty silly. Oh, <laughs> they walk like men by it. Clifford Sumac, I think his name is. Simak. Simak, Simak, yeah. yeah. And it has to do with these bowling ball type aliens who come to Earth and they want to take over the Earth by buying all the real estate, buying out everyone and getting everyone to lose their houses and everything. And um, it starts out with, it, it, it's narrated by a reporter in a, wood, a Midwestern town. And he goes to it. He's had a night on the, on the town. He's a little drunk and he goes home and he, he's about to enter his apartment when he sees a part of the rug cut out. And it turns out in there's a there's a bear trap, which if he had walked into it, really did him a lot of damage. So apparently the, these aliens have, have gotten the idea that he was uh, onto them. And so they were trying to kill him. So 
a lot of the book has to do with him trying to investigate how they're taking over Earth. And um, someone gets killed in it. And then also um, there's a, there's a, a talking dog, which, <laughs> which turns out to be someone who's against, against these aliens. But the main thing is that they're, they're like, when they can take different shapes, but their normal shape are bowling balls that roll around and everything. And they finally discovered that aliens are attracted by, by certain smells on Earth. And they discover that, they, that they, they go crazy over skunk smell. And they <laughs> have to finally trap them all and, and, and get rid of them at the very end. But I thought the book was a little silly. And I realized after looking at what some of the other works that he wrote on Bar that we had a, there was a lovely book by him that we read a while, way back called, uh, what was it called? What, uh, Way it Station. Right, Way Station. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a classic. That was one of yeah. Mary's favorite. I say, I say, I think he was trying to be humorous with that stuff about the smells. I just love yeah. skunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, quite a few other books on Bard that might be interesting that I might want to consider looking at, but I found the book to be a little stupid. And, and it was also read by a reader from Texas with a strong Texas accent. <laughs> that didn't help any, no. So that's my, that's my, um, presentation for today next month we'll deal with these horrible books that i mentioned to you before <laughs> yes absolution gap with one and we'll discuss you that next month. <laughs> you know every once in a while you got to read something goofy just to kind of give yourself some perspective sherry okay i have two and i'll be quick the first oh, one no is rush. Um, the first one is Earthmen and Strangers by, it's a book of short stories edited by Robert Silverberg. Mm. And it really just wasn't that good. A lot of well-known authors in there, but I don't even, I read it a month ago and I don't even remember any of the stories except the two I wrote <laughs> down here. Um, one of them was by Eric Frank Russell and it was about Martians exploring a deserted earth. And it was from the perspective of the Martians. So that was kind of interesting. Then there was one on uh, called Life Cycle by Paul Anderson, and it was about an Earth man who goes to Mercury and has to convince the aliens there that he's not a god, and that was interesting. Um, the book I'll give him more detail on is called We Shall Sing a Song into the Deep by Andrew Stewart. It's only about five hours long. Um, it takes place on a future Earth, and it mostly takes place on this submarine called the Leviathan, which has become quite a incredibly strict religious colony of all men, and they castrate the men when they reach puberty, and they frequently raid. Yeah, they frequently raid <laughs> what they call topside, and will pick up other young boys for their um, cult. And apparently, there's been some kind of nuclear destruction on earth and the leviathan has the only remaining nuclear missile and they're waiting to fire it until they get a signal from god now it turns out the captain at one point kidnapped a young girl and nobody knows she's really a girl but for some reason he trusts her with the key to this nuclear weapon because he's about to die and they make a raid on Topside and they kidnap a woman because she's an engineer. They'd killed everybody else on the boat. And this girl, Remy, our hero, starts kind of making friends with this engineer. And you're not sure if the engineer is really a good person or a bad person. But there's talk about, you know, what to do about this nuclear missile that's left and stuff like that. And it's... It was an okay book. I don't know that I'd highly recommend it. It was only about five hours. So oh, yeah. Called again. Interesting. Was it called again? It was called We Shall Sing a Song Into the Deep. Oh. And it was by Andrew Stewart. Andrew Stewart. Did I say that right? Mm. Yeah, Andrew Stewart. Yep. I think he wrote some analog stuff, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you thinking of Ian Stewart? May I might be yeah, Jim? Part. Yeah. Maybe you might be yeah, Ian Stewart. He was a mathematician, I think, actually. He oh, wrote okay. The, but it's been a long time since I've read any analog, so you may be Me right. Me too. I don't know. For Me some too. reason, I quit I liking any I'm of not... the stories. I'd get it, and okay. maybe be one story in there I'd like. Wow. And, yeah. You guys still read Asimov? Same thing. Yeah. I didn't I think haven't it was... read it for a long time. I'm just reading so many books and 
scanning and doing oh. chess and i just haven't made time to read magazines for a yes. long time except for the economist magazine that's the only one uh, i read now i, I didn't th I, I, I didn't think asimov was still around I oh yes that it come, yeah, yeah okay now they both of them have shrunk somewhat to they're putting yeah. out more double issues and fewer issues um they, they're right. you know they, they used to put out 13 issues yeah I think there were 12 and then one was a double um i don't know what the schedule is now but whenever i see them on bard there are more often double issues now so mm. they're not coming out as often as they were um paper magazines are kind of yeah. becoming relics in a way mm -hmm. i mean it's amazing that you know so i'm a little surprised that some of them are still around but um but they are but they're not as frequent as they used to be or they're smaller um but uh the book i have and uh i i'm i I'm I'm not good at this reviewing stuff because either I forget something or I put it in the wrong order or something. Um, but it is um, a book called Fiasco by Stanislaw Lem, and it is another one of his books. He wrote four or five of them, in which he demonstrates or tries to demonstrate. He does a pretty good job in most cases that his belief that communication with aliens will be either extremely difficult or impossible um evan excuse me did he do the one where the water is the alien or something yes on, that was solaris that? that's probably his most famous book oh. there were three and and it was it was kind of ambiguous you know how intelligent it was but it certainly seemed to have certain qualities about it but they never really did succeed in communicating yeah, the polish with it. science fiction yes writer. yeah and I had no idea until I read about it in Wikipedia. He sold something like 45 million books. Oh I mean, the God. guy's extremely wow. popular and very underrepresented on Bard. Huh? He must be rich, too. Well, he's passed away in 2005 oh. at the age of wow. 84. Wow. Um, so uh, perhaps his son, uh, his family. Yeah, they, he did well for them. Very rich. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he wrote The Invincible, which I reviewed you know, a few months ago about the alien machine swarms um, that they had never, that the crew could not communicate with. But this uh, fiasco is the one of the last science fiction books he wrote um, in 1984. He kind of quit science fiction after that, wrote other stuff. Um, and it's about uh, the, a, an expedition which uh, detected this alien uh, civilization through their radio noise and launched an expedition to see them or try to contact them uh, before they pass out of the window, you know, they, they get his theory is and this kind of squares kind of with the singularity theory that is but he doesn't mention that word by name um there's a certain window uh when a civil it opens up when a civilization develops radio but then it closes again when they've become so advanced that either they disappear or they close themselves off and go in a different direction and no longer you know radiate much into space and um, so they are trying to contact this alien race. And it's kind of a spoiler because the title kind of gives it away. You know, it doesn't work out very well at all. Um, they, uh, I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of details. It's, it's very, it's a hard science fiction book. Um, he never gives dates in his books as to when these, you know, when they occur. Um, so you know for like solaris and the invincible and the other ones um he doesn't tell how far in the future that they take place but humanity has advanced to the point and he and he's not a character author either i'll just put it that way there are some characters like there might be one person who's you know fairly well drawn there is one person in this book who the the book starts out with uh, chapter one uh, takes place on Titan, and he uh, this this person um, takes the one of these. They have these machines. Uh, they're they they're like giant walkers, and you ride in them, and you 
actually control them. You put on this suit, and as you walk, the machine walks, and if you raise your hand, it raises its, you know, you can lift things. Yeah. But these things weigh tons. They're really big. So some people have disappeared on Titan, and he goes after them to try to find out what happened to them. And, and so he gets killed, but he gets frozen they have this device that if if you run into trouble and you can't get back and you run out of power and stuff it's got this vitrifaction device that comes down over your head and pours liquid nitrogen all over and so he didn't get frozen frozen very well but then after the first chapter you jump ahead to this expedition to the alien world and it contains some of these bodies that were rescued from Titan because, you know, he, the guy who was going after the men who disappeared, there's not one woman in the book, just in case anybody's curious about that, not one. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, um, so they revive him, but they use, they have to use parts from several bodies to make a complete body. And they, and, but they, of course, they, they have one brain, but, but the guy, has his memories, but he never does remember who he is. But he's a pilot, and he is becomes part of the expedition to this alien race. And so I'm going to skip over some things so I can say that they try and try to communicate with this race. They they the technology is more advanced than it is here. They they have you know advanced weapons that involve gravity you know, in quantum mechanics, and he actually spends a good deal of time, you know, extrapolating and speculating about how they might work. There was actually a time or two when um, I was thinking he could move it along a little bit more, you know, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy that stuff, but they're, they're, you know, I think it was a little overloaded, but I mean, I enjoyed the book immensely. I'm just saying no book is perfect, but, um, so they try and try to communicate with this race with no um, response at all. So then they try to land a ship on the surface and, but there's nobody in it because they're suspicious because it looks like there are a lot of war type equipment uh, in space there's no active war going on, but all the radio bands are filled with noise. Like people are trying to, you know, there are different uh, polities or warring parties trying to jam each other. There's no bomb throwing or anything like that. But there are weapons out in space, and the ship actually gets caught by one of them. At least that's what they think. Um, they're not positive, but when they land this ship on the planet, a probe, it um explodes and they can't find a way to explain that by accident because it's already but it landed uh and they come up with various ways that it could have been you know attacked so they decide to demonstrate their power by taking apart the the moon of this planet and they 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 send these missiles with these uh, they he calls it uh, sidereal engineering that's where you use the properties of gravity to uh, manipulate space-time. And so they can take this moon apart cleanly and it'll just orbit the planet. And it won't, if they do it right, it won't, you know, fall and it won't go any, it'll just string itself out. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but the planet sends up some rockets to intercept some of the missiles closest to their planet. And so parts of the moon start falling on their planet. <laughs> um, so they can't figure out. So I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to say too much because I mean, they never see these aliens. They can't, they, they, there's, there's long descriptions of them, uh, you know, trying to peer through various instruments at the planet. Um, they've got advanced, you know, they've got these, um, advanced technology to observe while trying to remain camouflaged so they don't see their, you know, their original ship. Um, and they cannot find, you know, what the aliens look like, you know, and they can't, you know, finally the aliens communicate because this, this, you know, as I said, they tried for weeks, they sent all these codes and they, they, they showed them 
you know, they sent all these signals on all these different bands on how to read the code, how to translate, you know, what the codes meant. And so it turns out that they actually had figured out what the codes meant. Um, and they said that they could land. So they sent down these two landers and, and they, and then they, they came back and they were okay. And so they finally send down, um, this ship it's it's not the real ship but they made a they made a a fake version of the ship and they sent it down because they still didn't trust them um because they thought it was they, they thought they might be setting a trap and he explains all this in like really great detail uh and i'm skimming past it and i i i could i wish i could take a lot longer but um and so the ship this is the one I mentioned that that um, explodes, and then they start uh, sending down parts of. Um, see, I left something out. Now I got to go back and explain it. Um, there's a ring of ice particles around this planet. It looks like they were trying to engineer uh, get get rid of some of the water and put it up into orbit to lower the oceans or to change the climate. But they aborted this project and the ring is unstable and starting to come back to Earth. So the humans accelerate the process. They create this laser that draws power from the sun and starts bombarding this ring. And so they, you know, and they, so it just escalates, you know, the, the humans, you know, they got attacked or they felt they were attacked. And then, so they respond and then you know, the aliens interfered with, you know, they're taking apart the moon and that, you know, and then, so it just goes on like that. And so it's just, as the, as the title says, it's a fiasco. They can't, the aliens don't really reveal anything about themselves. They just say, well, you can land. And then, yeah. and after the landers return, they negotiate this, this, this for the ship to land. And so the humans are suspicious, so they don't send down a real ship you know, with people in it. Um, finally, after they've bombarded them and, and destroyed a lot of their, you know, the remaining ring, the rings of ice around the planet, they finally agree to let someone come down. And at the end of the book, there's one guy who was the one who was revived from Titan, who was, who was partially, on, uh, they revived him with other people's part, partly, they don't go into too much detail about that, but um, he goes down at the end of the book and you can read this in Wikipedia if you want. So I guess I'm not going to, I guess I'm not going to worry about spoiling it too much, but he has to return a signal every 100 minutes or whatever to make sure that they, the ship knows that he's safe because, and if they don't, they're going to raise holy hell. They're going to use this solar laser to wreak havoc on the planet. And so he sends his signal back and then he goes exploring and he finally figures out, he, he finally meets these strange creatures who are inert and they're like, they look like big giant loaves of bread or something. And so he gets too far from the ship and he forgets to send his signal on time. And so he, at the very end of the book, he realizes that he had actually seen the aliens. Um, but it's too late because he, you know, they, 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 the ship starts sending down the, you know, the laser, you know, the solar laser. It's huge. It's a huge thing. They describe it, what it's capable of. Um, it kind of reminds me of that gas laser, that, that solar laser on uh, Ringworld Engineers. Uh, remember, they, they used magnetic fields to create the, the laser from the sun. Um, I've never read it. Oh, man, it's a great. You really should read that, Jim. Okay. That's a great book. But right. Anyway, it's too late. At the end of the book, you know, the pilot, as the flames are coming out, he sees these flames coming through the atmosphere. It's raining and the water just evaporates out of the as this as this huge laser is coming. Oh, and he can see it coming. And he realizes oh, wow. that he has seen the aliens, and that's the end of the book. 
Oh, it's man. a great book, but it's a very sad ending. Yeah, I mean, it's really bad. But you I know. really enjoyed it. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about why we're not contacted by you know why you know yeah. great silence and all that. And you know, he he really is was the guy was brilliant. I mean, I really like his work, even if it's very pessimistic and you know some of it's very humorous. You know, he's, yeah. he he does some satires of you know, things, but, but some of his books are really bleak, but they have a lot of sense of wonder and a lot of really um, interesting speculations in them. And so I, I really enjoy them. I don't remind me of the a book called the listeners by James Gunn. Yes. I remember that. book, And he <laughs> okay. actually has uh, a book. Um, uh, Stanislaw Lem has another book that I haven't read, but I've got it called his master's voice. And it's about uh, alien signals received uh, on earth and uh -huh. the scientist attempts to unravel them um if it fits with the if it conforms to his other books it's not going to go well um no. they're probably not going to handle it at all or, you know be able to understand it and and it's a bit of a set there's some satire in that also apparently yeah. from what i've read about it uh, but yeah james gunn's book i think they build a device in that following is that the one where they they have the aliens send instructions on how to build something. No, no, this is the one where they start oh, receiving radio signals, and it's you know, radio signals broadcast back to us, our radio signals. Oh, I think I, I might be thinking of another book, maybe yeah. Fred Hoyle or something. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. That, that walking machine you described sounds like it comes straight out of the first star wars sequel yeah well my, these like are that. much bigger these are like yeah. these are many feet high oh the, uh, the ones in the star wars sequel were they were big very yeah, large the, too. the walking yeah i forget what they were called walkers yeah they were called walkers yeah yeah and, and actually are. that may have come from hg wells tripods oh yep. maybe yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah well yeah and john christopher got tripods he might have got them from wells too yeah, John Christopher her tripod books. I really like those. Um, see, those were juveniles too, but they didn't have a limited vocabulary. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> yeah, I liked those too. They were good, um, but um, I enjoyed the fiasco book really well. Um, I'm going to read um, some uh, his master's voice next, but I will mention, and I mentioned it on the. I don't know if anybody got it since groups.eo. I don't know if my messages were bound that. Um, the uh, NLS put out this huge book called the space. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I downloaded it too. Yeah. I've yeah. got it. I'm yeah. about 10 hours into it. Is okay. it good? I like it, but the first, yeah. but, but the first stories are, well, the first story is really primitive. I mean, you got to, it's from 1928 by Edmund oh, Hamilton. Wow. Yeah. It's very primitive writing. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's really funny sometimes in a way, but uh, but then the next story is by Jack Williamson from 1930. So they go through it's in chronological order to yep. the, you know, as, as you know, the, the stories get later, but what's really cool about this book is there's a lot of notes. There's a lot of information about the writers, about the field yeah. in general, about how it developed and how people are, what people thought space opera was back then, which has changed quite a lot since, you know, to what it is now and how it's become a respectable back then it was a trashy term you know that was like analogous to horse opera it wasn't anything yeah. like you know the respectable genre that it is now that wins awards you know all the time which it has for many years space opera novels have been getting awards for many years now um so they talk a lot about that and they talk about every each author has an introductory note you know before yep. the story it's a great book I mean, it's long. It's 69 and a half hours. It's a long it's like, book. But here's some wild. weird things. There's a weird thing in it. The table of contents has no author's names in it. No. Just the titles of the stories. And That's very yeah. weird. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard of that before. Yeah, especially so I had to go like through this. heading by heading and see who the authors were. That were yeah. Yep, that's how you do it with that book. But it's, it's nice really about it is you good. can read it in between other things. You sure. Yeah. yeah. I like I, I really I really enjoy the fiction and the nonfiction. Yeah, you can pick it up and put it down and you know. um, what was the name of it? It's called Space, Space Opera Space Renaissance. Opera. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
and it's it, huge, but it's I'm it, going to enjoy it. Um, it just went up like maybe 10 days or so ago. Not that it's long a ago. a lot of short stories. Yes. yes. It's, well, no, not, they're not all short stories. Some of them are they're three novellas. hours long. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. The, the Lee Brackett and the, the Jack yeah. Williamson stories were both they're, three hours long. Yeah. Now, there was another one. The run went after that was like six minutes. So, I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, so they're all different lengths, but some of them are hours long. So, but I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I, I'm going to, because I like yeah. space opera a lot, you know, yeah. the modern kind. But um, this gives examples, you know, that show that it, you know, it's got a long pedigree, even though it wasn't respected back then. Um but there's it, it's really good. So I wanted to put in a plug for that before I say. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Yeah. That is the end. The next meeting in the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, October 14th. 